coming up on this edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Absolutely. I mean, in one sense, what we're doing in calling elders and deacons is we're not making elders and deacons. We're recognizing them. Mm-hmm. We're recognizing men that the Lord has already gifted and stirred and has been using um, to, to shepherd the sheep, to lead the sheep. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual, I am your host, William Hill, and I'm glad to be with you today. I did say it's the afternoon, and actually it's uh, really, it's the morning where I'm at, and in fact where my guest is located. It is the morning. I don't normally do podcasts in the morning, so hence my slip of the tongue, as it were, and said good afternoon, because that's what I usually say when I start these podcasts. But anyway, again, my name is William Hill, and I am the host of the program, and I hope you've had a chance to visit our website at gpts.edu if you want to find out more information about Greenville Seminary, what we're doing, what our distinctives are, what kind of courses we offer, programs. Please visit the website. All the information is there for you to use and enjoy and to utilize, as well as numerous resources and that kind of thing. Also, as an extension of that, we have a website that primarily deals with our media, the podcast itself, this very thing that you're listening to, and you can get that information at confessingourhope.com. So go there, tons of information available for the listener to make themselves uh, uh, useful to them and their walk with Christ. In addition to that, um, in the last week, we have released a mobile app that can be downloaded onto your Android or your iOS device, uh, iPhone or iPad. And so take advantage of that. Again, that information is at the confessingourhope.com website. Utilize it, download it. It's free. Everybody loves free. It's free. Um, My father used to say there's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, in this case, there is such a thing as a free app. You can download it. It won't cost you a dime. So utilize it, and you can listen to all of our conference lectures, chapel sermons, as well as this podcast on your mobile device. Now, as I indicated, we'll be discussing a topic today with a guest who uh, resides in the Cayman Islands. He is um, actually one hour behind me in time, um, but it is the morning still there as it is where I'm sitting here on the east coast of the United States. We'll be talking with Thabiti Anyabwale. He wrote a book, Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons, and it's a timeless topic, frankly. It's a topic that I think the church needs to consider, think through more aggressively maybe, especially in our world that is very hurry up and always do things quickly instant information age that we live in. And so it's an excellent resource, excellent book that was written by a pastor who has been laboring in the Cayman Islands at First Baptist Church for the past six years. He is the senior pastor there and, um, as I said, has been laboring for six years in the Cayman Islands. So it's great. Thabate, I know you're going to mess up your name quite a bit, but I really apologize for that. But it's great to have you on the program, and I'm really I'm excited about talking with you about this topic. It's one that I've considered personally many, many times, and I was glad to get this book and go through it, and I'm thankful to have you on the program today. Hey, Bill, it's good to be with you, man. Don't don't worry about uh, messing up the name. I, I collect the most innovative mispronunciations. So, you know, if you keep working on it, you might be in the running for that title. So, <laughs> I, Well, maybe so. I, I'm competitive, and I like to be number one, so maybe we 
ramp that up to the top of the list there. Um, <laughs> you, know, you said unfair to just say it without thinking, and and as I humorously joked, um, that should be easy for me to do because people tend to say that I speak without thinking often. So <laughs> in this case, I don't know going to actually work. But anyway, this book, um, it, it was put out by Crossway. Um, it's titled Find Faithful Elders and Deacons. What what was it that that drove you or, or caused you to begin to think about writing a book of this nature? Well, probably a couple things. Um, the first thing is I, I am, like most Christians, deeply indebted to the elders or pastors that have invested in my life, in the preaching of the word and the shepherding of my soul and, and living a godly example. Um, so I'm just keenly aware that my spiritual life has kind of stood on the shoulders of um, other, other, other spiritual men who have uh, been faithful in their callings. And so in one sense, you know, as someone who was aspiring to the ministry, I was always kind of thinking about what is an elder, what does an elder do? Um, and, and so it's written out of that indebtedness to, to faithful men. But now as a pastor, I, I think that the most important decision um, that a pastor makes, that, a, that an eldership makes or a session makes, most important decision that a congregation makes, if you're in a congregational polity, is who you call to be your shepherds. Um, because the, the, the elders of the congregation um, not only lead the church spiritually and, and not only um, proclaim the Word of God and protect the Word of God in the ministry of the Word, but they're going to be really stamping their own character in many ways on the life of the congregation. They're the people uh, to whom the congregation ought to be able to look, for example, and uh, ought to be able, with some reasonable measure of trust, uh, to, to follow and to trust that as they follow, their lives are going to be patterned after mm -hmm. the life of Christ and the Word. And so uh, the, the most important decision that a, that a congregation makes uh, is who they call to be their elders, to be their shepherds. And it's written out of then that practical need to know how to identify elders and deacons and uh, what, what to look for in their lives. Yeah, that, and, and I think that's well said. And what, one thing that you just said that I think is um, impacting me, maybe on a practical level, is just how you can relate to your own experience and how what kind of impact those men had on you as you were growing in the faith, as you were learning more about Christ and his word, um, and, and, and the importance and value uh, those men had on you. Um, and, and, and in translating that over to somebody who's also in that same situation, how important it is for them to have those men in their lives that do that same thing. They disciple them to, to bring them along, as it were, uh, in the faith. And, and because of that, we have a book of this nature that you've written um, that really expounds on those admonitions, those, those qualifications that the Apostle Paul gives us most clearly in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But you also glean it from other aspects, and, and the way you laid the book out, I think, is very helpful. Um, and as we talked off air, um, though part one and part two are very good and, and should not be skipped, I'm, I'm especially intrigued with part three um, of the book, where it discusses the practical nature of what good pastors or elders do in their office. Um, but before we get to that, let's talk a little bit, I think, about 
part one, and, and it just kind of in a summary fashion, you, you titled this section Finding Table Servants. Mm. I find that very that, that title intriguing. What What's going on there? What, what was your idea with that? Well, basically, I'm just part one is looking at the qualifications for uh, deacons. Um, as you know, that the word we translate deacon um, quite literally means a, a, a table servant, a, a waiter. And so it was using the, the, the sort of metaphor of, of a waiter, a restaurant waiter, as a way of describing what a good, what a good deacon is. So if you've gone to your favorite restaurant and the service has been good, then chances are you've had a waiter who kind of knows what the kitchen does well and is able to make some recommendations. You have a, a waiter who has paid attention to your own kind of preferences and desires, so they're able to recommend some things to you based upon your, your, your own needs. Um, that waiter has been present and available, but, mm. not, but not too much. You know, they, they have a good sense of when to come by and see if you're okay, but otherwise they let you enjoy your meal and enjoy the fellowship of the people that you're with. So they're not intrusive, but they are available. Um, and so it becomes a good word picture, a, a good illustration of what you want in deacons in the local church, that these are, these are people who understand the congregation's needs. These are people who are committed to serving those practical needs. Um, they, they are there uh, and accessible, but, but not intrusive, not overstepping the, the bounds of their of their ministries uh, in any way. They're, they're really the shock, if I can mix metaphors, they're really the shock absorbers of the church. These, mm. th- these are the folks, as in the case of Acts chapter 6, when the dispute breaks out among the widows and it really threatens the unity of the church. These are the folks who confront a practical problem in the church, a practical need in the church. They absorb the shock of the problem, the complaint, the need, whatever it is, without multiplying it. But by diminishing it, but diminish it, it, it by uh, actually serving and resolving that need. And so they free up the ministry of the word, they free up the elders, and they attend to the practical needs of the body. Uh, and a healthy church, uh, I, I think deacons don't, they don't get their due very often, but a healthy church will, will be a church um, most likely that, that has some people serving as deacons who are really godly and quite capable at caring for the needs of the congregation. Yeah, and I love the analogy of the waiter because I can personally attest to that, that go to a restaurant and you want someone's there that can take care of the needs that you have, but you want them standing over you, hovering over you 24 for the entire time you're there. I've had that experience where I'm in a restaurant and it's like the waiter or waitress never leaves. Mm. They're just always checking on me every three minutes. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad to see that you're so concerned, but you don't need to be at my table every minute of the uh, while I'm here. Um, and and I've had that happen. And the other times, the the other end of the extreme, that's of course, right. is they're yeah. they're never around when you need them. So that, um, that's right. <laughs> so I do like that analogy, and I think it's a good analogy. Now, when we're talking about a deacon in the church, what is their biblically speaking? What is their primary function? Uh, I think if you take Acts chapter 6 as paradigmatic for um, the office of deacon, uh, it, it would appear that the deacons, the, their primary function, again, is to care for um, the, the, the material, physical, um, in some cases, spiritual need of the congregation. 
in a way that multiplies the ministry of the word by freeing by freeing the elders by freeing uh, those deacons of the word um, to to give themselves to prayer and to teaching uh, and to oversight and the leading of the congregation. So so their their work really um, both serves a need and frees other functions, frees other uh, important functions having to do with the ministry of the Word. And, and one of the things that you said um, relating to deacons is also I- interesting, um, that that they don't get their due, is how you put it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe elaborate on that. I, and, and I know exactly what you mean. Um, I, I've been in situations where it's like the deacons are, so, are, are sometimes um, – perceived as like the junior session or the mm-hmm. uh, the junior varsity of the church as far as leadership is that how the bible presents them not not at all i mean when you look at first timothy chapter 3 and look at the qualifications for deacons there one of the things that said is that those who serve well gain an excellent standing uh and mm-hmm. and full assurance in in the faith um so so this is an office that's that's highly esteemed by the lord it's an office that the Lord ordains for the church. That's no small matter. And uh, that, that, that qualified persons fill these offices, those persons are, are gifts from the Lord uh, for the full maturing and growth of the body. So, so if we think about the deacons as a, a junior session or elders in training or the kind of B string, uh, the B team, uh, we, we have sorely misunderstood how, how vital their ministry is uh, to the work of the gospel. You know, I, I, sometimes talking with guys who are church planting. And, and, you know, they're, they're sort of gung-ho about finding elders and, and establishing elders. And, and, and I go, right, that's, that's very important. Uh, but having, having planted a church some years ago, I, I say, you know, by experience, however, I'd rather start with a couple of guys who are solid deacons taking care mm. of the, the physical needs of the church so that I could be free from those things, free from many administrative tasks, uh, to, to commit myself to the word and prayer and the spiritual oversight of the church. And uh, I'd, I'd rather not be hasty in the laying on of el- hands on the elders uh, and instead, you know, perhaps train up um, some very solid deacons in the, in the immediate term. Um, that, that, I think, is going to contribute to the health of the ministry in ways that oftentimes we, we, we underestimate. Yeah, I like the way you put that too, where it, that frees you up for the idea that you can do what your function, your primary task role is as a elder, a pastor in the church. I have personally witnessed times where the pastor gets sucked into, mm-hmm. for lack of having a strong diaconate, mm-hmm. um, sucked into things that take away from those things, like uh, painting the wall of the church or fixing, I mean, I, I mean, I hate to minimize this. I mean, it, it seems so ridiculous, but changing a light bulb or whatever the case may be. But, you know, those are just tips of the iceberg type issues that a pastor ends up getting sucked into. On the other hand, of course, you know, if it needs to be done and there's no one else to do it, you know, then do it. But I mean, the, the, at, at the end of the day, as you said, a healthy congregation, a healthy church that's progressing rightly, um, the deacons they're they're so important because it frees up the the elders or elder pastor to do those things their functions which we're going to get to of course in this discussion to do those things and i think that's so important and i've sadly witnessed my own in my in my own experience churches that that tend to marginalize their diaconate um they don't come out and say it that way of course but it's just the way they're perceived and that they're kind of second class citizens or 
B team or junior varsity elders in training. I like the way you you put that. Now, what makes a good deacon? Well, again, I think one of the things that, that the, the most foundational thing for, for making a good deacon is, is that the man be godly, you know, that he be filled with the Holy Spirit, that he be filled with wisdom, um, that, he, that he meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, manages his home well, he loves his wife, he leads his children. Um, so, so the most foundational thing is, is that, he, that he be godly, and, mm-hmm. and, and godliness will, will be profitable you know, for, for life and the, this life and the life to come, right? So it's going to be profitable in, in the short term and the long term. And, and what that godliness will give him is, is the ability to think about even his practical tasks in spiritual terms. Mm. So, so he, won't, he won't, even though he's caring for a, a, a practical need in the church, he won't sort of descend into administrivia. He, he, won't, he won't sort of slide down into uh, a kind of pettiness about his, his silo of work or a, a kind of um, worldly attitude about the quote-unquote practical things as though those things are to be juxtaposed uh, as, as adversaries. Uh, to spiritual things. No, he'll do practical things with a spiritual mind, uh, and and that's going to make him fruitful uh, in both the practical thing and in the spiritual care of the church. Um, the other thing you want to look for that, that grows out of that godliness is a, a deacon really ought to be a servant. You know, uh-huh. th- this is the person uh, who who loves to serve. This is the person who um, is Christ-like in his attitude towards service, who lays down his life uh, for others, who washes the feet of the saints. Um, this this is the person in those in those very practical ways is going to be imaging forth the the compassion of the Savior. Uh, and so you you want in your deacons. Not necessarily people who are who are CEOs and 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 leaders from some some worldly vantage point, but you want in your deacons people who understand that that in the church leadership is service and service is leadership, and and they give their lives to that, and they're and they're happy to serve, not just because they like the particular project, but because mm. actually they like to serve, right? So so you'll have some folks who who are happy to serve as long as they get to do the thing they want to do, um, and praise God for them. But uh, you have other folks who are, I think, of a deacon here in the church, uh, who, if you asked him his his druthers, he'd much rather be serving in a, another particular area of the church. But but he sees the need that's there in his current place of service, and he loves doing it because he loves to serve, and he knows that's a need, and he knows he can he can fill that need, uh, even though you know on on most days he would he would choose something else if left to him. Uh, so you want men who are godly. And you want men who are servants. And so mm. in, in the most basic and general terms, that's what you want to see in a deacon. Now, when you talk about the qualifications for deacon, and we're going to talk about the qualifications for elder, of course, here too. But I think this question um, really covers both offices. But when we're talking about those qualifications as Paul established them, are we talking about a perfect man? No, we're not, you know, and that's important for both the the elder and the deacon. It's just a great question because sometimes people think of church leadership and and they think the church leaders have a big S on their chest, 
Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so they think of the super deacon and the super elder. Uh, I think it was Don Carson who I, I first heard uh, point this out, but uh, said basically when you look at the qualifications for elders, you look at the qualifications for deacons, uh, basically all of those qualifications are things that are uh, required uh, of or encouraged in all Christians. The mm-hmm. only exception the only exception to that is for the elder, the, the qualification apt to teach. But mm-hmm. everything else is what a Christian ought to be. And so and so what you're looking for in an elder or deacon is is certainly not perfection, because we wouldn't have any leaders if that were the case. <laughs> um, but what you're looking for are these rather brown paper bag, ordinary spiritual qualifications that should be true of all cr- Christians. What you're looking for is that in some pronounced manner in some exemplary amount uh, so that the the congregation and even those outside the church recognize in this person a level of those ordinary things that become exemplary uh, to the rest of us ordinary folks trying to grow in Christ. Mm. So you would say it's a a strong consistency of those characteristics that 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 is that pervades it's it's strongly reflected in the way they 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 live their life it's um obviously perfection you're right i mean i I think that was that's great if we if it was a perfection issue number one paul couldn't have wrote him Mm. he wouldn't have been an apostle he wasn't perfect Mm. um i know that probably upsets some people but sorry the apostle paul as great as he was wasn't perfect and he said so himself so take it up with him um but um you're right i mean there would be no leaders in the church because and I think this is something a congregation often forgets or, or um, when they're dealing with their elders or their deacons is that these are not perfect men. They're not, you know, they're not superstars. Um, they're living this Christian life like everybody else, and they're struggling with sins like everybody else. And um, But you would say it's – but there's a consistency. There's a stability in their Christian experience, their Christian walk. That is exemplary. It's exemplary. It's it's something that people can look to, mm-hmm. as Paul said. You know, do as I do. You, mm-hmm. What I, you've seen me do, do those things as well. And um, I think that's a great point and very important, even for congregations to realize that we're not looking for perfect men. Mm-hmm. We're looking for godly men, and there's a difference. Yeah. In those. There's only one perfect person that I know about, and um, yeah. and so that's a real important thing. Now we're talking about elders. In the church, your second section of your book begins to move into that section, and I and I have to note up front um, as I looked at the book and and went through it, you give a little bit more space, as it were, to the elders. I don't think that was because you think they're more superior to the deacons or any other thing, but I think maybe it's because. Well, I'll let you answer that question. Why do you give more space to the office of elder? Uh, I think it's a function of two things. Uh, one, because the the New Testament itself gives more space to elders. I mean, yeah, and I was gonna and I was gonna actually say that for you, and I figured I just let you. <laughs> I figured that was your reasoning, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I, I think the New Testament gives more space to the office of elders, um, and 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 the reason is is that the elder is that's the teaching officer in the church. Uh, and the, the engine of the church is the Word of God, and the preaching of the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God, and uh, particularly the proclamation of the gospel of God. And so, um, you know, in, in that sense, um, the function of the elders um, is, is critical to the life of the church, because, you know, you, you could have people going out doing wonderful service things, caring for the practical needs of the body, um, 
and 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 though that's happening, you could cease to be a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the one thing you must have in order to be a church is the right preaching of God's word and and the right teaching of God's word and the proclamation of the gospel, uh, the administration of the sacraments. You know those those historical marks of of a true church, um, and and those things uh, are carried on by the elders. Those things are carried on by the pastors of the church. And so uh, I think we get a bit more attention to the elders in the New Testament um, and that that function preaching of the word, which is the one thing that kind of marks them apart in giftedness uh, from, from others, um, becomes really critical to the life of the church. Mm. Now, some of the same things I asked about the deacons, I could a- e- easily ask about the elders as far as their qualifications. Again, we're not looking for perfect men. We're looking for willing men who model these characteristics in a stable way um, in their life before the congregation, before the people. But the elders... There is a difference in the sense that um, while the congregation is called to submit to both the elders and the deacon, the elder has a different role in the church, distinct difference, I think, between the, that of his counterpart in the, in the work of the church, that is the deacon. What would the elder's primary function be? Uh, so the elders primarily um, are, are going to um, give oversight, leadership, um, direction, are going to exercise authority over the entire congregation. And they're going to do that primarily through uh, the ministry of the word. Um, and so the, the elders then are, are those who are responsible to, to oversee, uh, to shepherd, uh, to rule um, in the church. Um, and, and again, the means that they're going to, by which they're going to do that as under shepherds, uh, is, is through the, the, the proclamation and the application of God's word. So that, that's going to be, um, a, a very big distinction between the elders and the deacons. What, what some people tend to think of elders and deacons kind of like two halves of a, of a parliamentary system or something, or a governmental system, mm-hmm. sort of, sort of like the house and the Senate. Um, and, and sort of bicameral, equal in, in power. That, that's not at all what the New Testament uh, pictures for us. Uh, the, the church, in that sense, is unicameral. Uh, it has one uh, sort of party, if you will, that is leading and governing and overseeing uh, the local church. And, and that's going to be the, the plurality of elders uh, who serve that body and share responsibility uh, for leading that body. Mm. I've I've had occasion to be in some churches where it seems as though the elders become, well, for lack of a better way of explaining it, um, giant administrators mm. of the church, mm. um, making you know, deciding every nickel and dime nuance of every aspect of everything that goes on, including how many reams of paper to buy and that kind of stuff. And, and, and while I guess at some level, somebody has got to make that determine that decision, I would think the deacons would be more equipped for that. But anyway, um, it, it is interesting that it does seem from the new test from the new Testament that, that the elders, um, their, their main goal or priority is in the spiritual oversight matters that are related there and and the deacons are on the other side they're they're responsible for the physical aspects of the congregation and 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 here it, it's to me a great picture of when what christ when we were created when god created man he created us body and soul um 
he provided for our physical needs. Uh, Adam and Eve provided for their physical needs in the garden, but he also provided for their spiritual needs as well. And this way, covering both aspects of what we as people, humans, need. Um, and, and, and to me, I think that's just a perfect picture of how the offices unite are united to one another, not separate, distinct in the sense of um, one subservient to the other. But on the other side, I've seen where in some church settings, elders over the deacons. And, and I'm not quite sure how to harm, um, bring any harmony to that issue. Whether Are the deacons under the elders? Well, that's a good question. Let, let, let me go back to something you said a moment ago in terms of the, the elders really being, um, I, I would argue, off task, if you will. Uh, when they're when they're involved in uh, overly involved in the administration of the church, uh, there's a sense in which they're going to be involved in that in in a sort of broad or high level oversight anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the surest way to kill a pastor is to put him on a committee. You know, that's the that's the that's the, that's the quickest way to you know to to to, to wear out uh, a shepherd is to is to have him immersed. Uh, in, in a great deal of administrivia. And so I just wanted to, to kind of footnote or, or echo uh, what you were saying there. Um, are, the, are the elders over the deacons? Well, in one sense, yes. Yeah. In one sense, the elders are over the deacons because the elders are, are shepherds of the whole congregation. And deacons mm-hmm. are, uh, like the elders, are, are fundamentally uh, members of the church. Uh, they're sheep in the flock. Um, likewise, the elders are, are, are over themselves. I mean, they, they are, they are to, to, to watch over each other as well. So there's some, be some shepherding going on, uh, even inside the eldership, one, one with the other. And so in one sense, when it comes to spiritual shepherding, yes. Uh, in, in another sense, if, if, again, if you, if you mean by that, a kind of junior deacon, uh, kind of thing. If you mean a kind of subservience, uh, where where the deacon really doesn't have um, appropriate latitude to execute their ministry, uh, where there's a micromanagement going on, uh, I would say there that you just you really have a an unhealthy eldership um, that that the elders perhaps haven't uh, grasped the fact that in 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 freeing up the deacons to do that aspect of the ministry. Um, they're actually multiplying the ministry, and, and they're actually uh, allowing themselves, creating space for themselves uh, to give attention to those spiritual matters, mm. which are their primary concern. Absolutely. Now, your your last section of your book, as I indicated earlier, um, was the section that I gravitated towards almost immediately, mm. um, because this is kind of like uh, you devote, I think, 10 chapters I'm just quickly counting. It's 19 through 28, so that's 10, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so um, 10 tap- chapters to very practical, bullet-type things that any person reading this can get their mind around. I mean, it's not difficult, complicated topics. It, it's more complicated and difficult to do them. Um, but I like the practical aspects of this last chat, this last section. And, it, and you titled it, What Good Pastors Do. Mm-hmm. And and when I, when I read that at first, I thought, okay, I think I understand his. I, I bet you I, I could pigeonhole his theological understanding of of elder pastor. Um, as you know, um, in Presbyterianism, we tend to distinguish between ruling elders and teaching elders. Sure. Um, but anyway, that that's sort of an aside. Um, 
But what I, I'm interested in is some of these practical things. And, and one of them that immediately um, grabs me as I'm looking at this again um, is the last chapter um, where while elders, as we just discussed, have great responsibility over the spiritual oversight of the congregation to shepherd their souls, to, to do those things that they're to do um, for the good of the church. Number Chapter 28 is really remarkable because while we hear much about what an elder is supposed to do as their function in the church, we often hear too little of what they're to do for themselves. Mm. And what and I appreciated what you had to say in that chapter on how elders watch their doctrine. Mm. Well, you know, it's it's right out of First Timothy four sixteen, right? You know, mm-hmm. they to watch your life and doctrine closely. Uh, and if someone's interested to read more about this, I mean, you want if if I were recommending one sermon or one chapter to you, you'd probably be Charles Spurgeon's um, the the elders self watch the pastors self watch. Great meditation uh, on that text. Um, but, you know, one of the things that, that is absolutely perilous uh, to pastoral ministry is, is for the pastor to, to be concerned about watching all the sheep, which he should be concerned about, and completely negligent or slothful when it comes to their, their own life and doctrine. Uh, when when they begin to sort of slide um, in 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 theological matters and slide in, in matters of personal devotion, um, I, I think I think as pastors we want to be acutely aware of of a creeping coldness in our own hearts or or slippery sliding um, in in our own. Um, uh, statement of belief and 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 creedal position, and and that you know that happens sometimes so so imperceptibly, mm-hmm. um, and we look up later and and we go wow how do how did I get over here, uh, or we look up later and we find that things we once treasured um, truths about God uh, we now have a loose grip on or we've even come to to disdain. Um, and and this is why this is one of the reasons too that a plurality of elders that have a healthy um, culture of inquiring into one another's lives, praying for each other, holding one another accountable, and spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Is, this is why that plurality is so necessary uh, for the for the pastor's life. And and that's that's whether you have you're sort of in a Presbyterian system and you have uh, teaching and ruling elders, or or whether you're in uh, a, a, a local Baptist church with uh, a plurality of elders that doesn't make that distinction, we, we need to watch each other's life and we need to watch our own lives and our own doctrine closely. And you do, and you lay out some very simple, again, simple to read, difficult to do, um, and isn't that what life, most <laughs> issues in life are like that, right? Um, yeah, you, you, you buy something at the store, you open, you come home, you open the box up, you get the instruction manual, it's, it's easy to read, then, then you're, when you go to actually follow it. I don't know if you're like me. I tend to throw the instruction manual to the side and try to figure it out for myself. Sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. Um, But you give some very good practical suggestions in this chapter on how to actually watch their own personal doctrine closely. Um, Number one, and I'm glad to see it, it is at the top of the list, make scripture central. I I I, I mean, the rest of them don't matter. If that one's not there, well said. Well said. You know, we, we're to be, um, you know, men of one book, really, and uh, we, we're to be not only we not only seek to sort of master the book, but to be mastered by the book, mm-hmm. and um, and so everything we do ought to have 
are to be driven by, shaped by, uh, limited by uh, what what thus saith the Lord. And uh, we, we, we ought to take the heart um, seriously, what our master says, we, we live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, that, it, that his word is, is life, that it's spirit, um, that it's truth, and we're sanctified by this truth. And so we, we need to be men who are devoted to this book. And not only that, I mean, one of the things that, that um, I think brings a pastor great joy in their ministry to their people is when their people are devouring scripture for themselves, that they are reading it on their own, that they are spending time daily meditating on God's word. And if the elders aren't making a practice of that, how are you going to expect the congregation to do the same thing? That's exactly right. This is this is uh, sort of what I was saying earlier, that the elders will inevitably begin to press upon the congregation the stamp of their own spiritual life. If, if, if their spiritual temperature is low, uh, guess where the temperature of the congregation is going to be? You know, over time, it, it's going to set a, a low spiritual temperature, a cool spiritual temperature in the congregation. But if the elders are fervent, uh, and if the elders love God's Word, and that's evident in how they speak of God's Word, how they teach it, how they apply it, if, if they're the kind of men who gossip the gospel, guess what the congregation is going to gossip? They're going to mm-hmm. gossip the gospel. They're going to be passionate about the word. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, you're right. There, there's, there are a few things that give a pastor more joy than to see his people um, salivating at the word of God and to see them uh, growing in the word of God and to, and to feel the upward pressure that comes from a congregation that that's learned and 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 that studies and that and that looks for the preacher to to show them in the word to bring the book. Um, there, there's little that's that's more rewarding um, than to see that fruit produced by the Spirit in the life of a congregation. And then you go on to talk about read and reread good old books. One way I would probably, I, I sometimes jokingly say when people ask me, um, "Have you read this book? Have you read that book?" and I and, and, and sometimes I'll jokingly respond, I only read authors that are dead. <laughs> now, that's not true, obviously. I mean, you're not dead. And I, and it, but the point is, is that I, I think we've lost that, that the importance of these old men, oftentimes dead authors, um, and um, how just how important this section is for for elders to be engaged in in reading these works that have been done works of old. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know if there's much to comment there, but I think it's just an, a great suggestion. Elders need to be reading more. Um, I want to hasten on because we're running short on time, but I want to talk about number three because that I wouldn't expect that in a list like this, and it is interesting to me. Read bad books once in a while. Yeah, I mean, this is this is sort of the flip side of of the read good old books, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you know, the good old books anchor us in history, remind us that we're part of a a great communion of saints, and uh, and and those books are classics for a reason, right? They they stand the test of time for a reason. Um, they're, they're well written and they're deep and they're meditative. Well, the bad books are are the sort of flip side of that. And the truth is, a lot of our people are are exposed to bad books. Uh, and and mm-hmm. read books that are that are not helpful to their faith. Now, a pastor doesn't need to spend all his time in polemics. He doesn't need to spend all of his time reading all the bad books out there. But you know, from time to time, dip into uh, a really popular bad book so you can know what's what's shaping 
uh, some of the people who are coming through your doors and, and what they're reading. And so that you can be able then to, to carefully, skillfully apply the, the Word of God to some of those kinds of issues. I, I just give an example. This We're going through First John right now, and we're just in First John chapter 2. And uh, John, they're dealing with some of the heretics who've, who've gone out from among them who are denying that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, through this series, I've been using as a, as a foil for my introduction uh, some very prominent liberal um, professing Christian types who deny you know, the, 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 the core tenets of the faith. Just been sort of using that as a way of setting up the text. And at the same time, sort of helping people with their reading choices and exposing mm-hmm. them to bad things and showing them why it's bad, you know, from the scripture. And so that's that from time to time, I think it's just a very helpful thing to do for your congregation. And it does help dovetail into one of the other aspects that you give in this section in part three about how um, they're to refute error. I mean, if yep. you can't refute that which you are not acquainted with. Um, that's right. And I mean, we can right off the top of my head. I'm, I, as you were talking, I was thinking of two very largely popular books in Christian circles that were absolutely horrendous mm. books, awful books. Mm. And I heard Christians time and time again parade them as some great, wonderful treatise that every Christian should read. And just after a little bit of research, you know, I mean, I didn't even have to read the entire book, but a little bit of research told me that this book is dangerous mm. to God's people. I mean, and I think if, if, well, I'll mention a couple of titles. One of them was The Shack, yeah. that awful work that yeah. Christians loved it. Yeah. And they were drinking it in droves and calling it the net, the, the next C.S. Lewis book and all. I was, I was horrified. And then, it, you know, then The Da Vinci Code was another one that mm. Christians were just reading it in droves. And pastors, are, you know, pay attention to what's going on. You, the Internet is a great tool. And you can see that what people are buying and what's getting a lot of airplay and attention. And you see Christians commenting and responding to this in positive ways. As a pastor, you should say, well, what's causing so much excitement? And then you read that and you say, this is terrible. And I don't want my people exposed to this kind of stuff. And I need to show them and direct them and refute the errors that it's presenting Um there, so I think that's a great suggestion, and helps just in a practical way, um, helps do that other aspect that you brought out about refuting error. You can't refute that which you're not acquainted with, and um, you don't have to live in that world, but you can surely be acquainted with it enough. And then your number four, read church history and historical theology, um, which I, I, I applaud that. I, I think that's an absolutely essential aspect to leading the church correctly. Uh, the old saying: uh, people who don't study history are 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 prone to repeat the errors that history uh, made, and um, and I think we're we're seeing that in the church um, today very clearly. Um, what kinds of church history? I mean, it, it's not you don't give a lot of uh, press to this section, but um, and and as you know, as a pastor, time is very valuable. Um, but where would you suggest an elder or pastor start in this topic in this area? Uh, it's a good question. I guess it would depend on sort of how much church history they, they've already read um, and, and whether this, they're sort of new to this area or whether they've had their, had their feet in this area for a little while. But um, I toss out a few, a few authors who, who I find quite helpful. Uh, I, I like Stephen Nichols. Uh, I like the way he writes. He, if, you, if you're new to church history, you want something that's engaging uh, and readable, 
then, then most everything that Nichols writes, I think, would be uh, wonderful to get your hands on. If you're looking for a sort of a larger textbook on church history, textbook sounds too dry, but if you're looking for a larger <laughs> larger treatment of church history, something like Bruce Shelley's uh, book simply titled Church History uh, <laughs> would be an, an excellent book to read. Uh, I, I appreciate Mark Knoll greatly as an author and so as a, as a, as a historian. So his, his works of history, uh, particularly uh, looking at um, you know, America's, uh, America's God and, and his work on the development of evangelicalism, uh, really helpful stuff. Ian Murray, uh, I, I like his stuff on evangelicalism and the history of evangelicalism and some of the problems that have arisen out of that. Um, I, just so much, so much wonderful stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm starting now to, I, I'm going to be multiplying authors and titles, but uh, as places to start, Bruce Shelley's Church History, uh, Stephen Nichols, as some of the primer kind of stuff he's written, those would be a, a couple of good places to start. Yeah, and I might also add, um, just looking at my shelves here as you were talking, um, a little more academic mm-hmm. work and much bigger, um, two volumes set by William Cunningham, thus marrying up the good old books suggestion on historical theology is um, is, is outstanding, highly recommended um, by my professors here at Greenville Seminary. So, um, so, so those are some good titles to jot down as an elder or even someone who's thinking about maybe I'm called to be an elder. Uh, start to avail yourselves of these things. There's plenty of information out there. One of the nice things about living in the 21st century is we have plenty of information. A lot of it bad, a lot of it good. But it's there if you just want to do the research. And some of it's even available publicly in the public domain on the Internet where you can read the PDFs or whatever to get a hold of it. Then this this next one, um, and we don't certainly don't have time to go through them all, but I do like uh, number five on page 157 of the book, um, Avoid nav- Novelty and Fads. Yeah. Well, that, you know, the, most of the errors that, that creep into a man's life, into his doctrine and his teaching – you know, a lot of it is it, it comes from the allurement of something new. And it's particularly true in academia where, you know, you perish or you publish or perish uh, and, and where there's this temptation to, to always sort of say something novel, to say something new. Um, and, and so when that arises in a man's soul, what that means by definition is you're leaving the old. You're leaving the tried and true paths. You're, you're forsaking um, the, the, the sacred boundary stones, the, the mm-hmm. Ebenezer's mm-hmm. that have been erected. Um, and so I think we just really have to watch out for that fascination with something new, something clever, uh, some, something that nobody has seen in the history of the church. I mean, you can pretty much guarantee yourself, if you're seeing something that nobody has seen in 2,000 church, years of church history, that, then you're wrong. <laughs> you know, you're wrong. You're going That's to be right. headed toward error, uh, and you ought to back up and uh, again read some old books and 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 read the book again on that issue. That's a point that we get um, as a, as a seminary student. You know, we hear that often. I mean, if you if you're exegeting a text or a passage and um, and you you think you've discovered something new, good chance you need to go back and revisit it because it's probably wrong. That's exactly right. Um, you know, it's not likely that you found something new. Um, you know, lean on the old, the old guys, lean on the the church history that we talked about, lean on those things and, 
and for help that use that to frame your your exegetical work in the text because it's not likely that you found something brand spanking new that no one's ever seen before. Um, one quick question as we get kind of wrap things up and and something that uh, way I've I've typically answered this question. I, I really want to get your opinion on this. Um, I've been in churches where I was in a, you know, I was part of the congregation and I was called on to vote on a man, um, as an elder or a deacon. And, um, while I look at the qualifications that Paul gives us in first Timothy three and Titus one, and I, I've seen them teach and I, and I seem to think that there's probably some validity here to this man, um, being an elder or a deacon, um, the one thing that tends to drive my thought process, I mean, it kind of comes before all the other things, is that when I w- watch the man interact in the congregation, my, the first question I typically ask myself as I'm called to vote on them is, are they doing the office without the title? Right. Do you think that's a good place to begin that thought process? Absolutely. I mean, in one sense, what we're doing in calling elders and deacons is we're not making elders and deacons. We're recognizing them. Mm -hmm. We're recognizing men that the Lord has already gifted and stirred and has been using um, to, to shepherd the sheep, to lead the sheep. Um, they, they, they're, they're, they're caring for people. They're the kind of people the congregation goes to for counsel. Uh, again, we've, we, as you said, we've probably observed them teaching God's word and we've, we've seen the fruit of that in the lives of people. Um, that, that's what we're looking for. And we're looking to, to recognize it. And here's why it's, here's why it's critical in part, uh, as, as a former high school basketball coach, you know, to always say you can't coach size. So, so if you you got a big guy and he plays small, it's almost impossible to teach him to play big, right? Uh, you just can't coach size, and and you can't take a little guy and and have him play as though he's six ten. Um, what what you want is someone who's six ten who plays six ten who plays big, uh, and the same is true of elders. You can't take a guy who's not shepherding and make him a shepherd. And hope to you know you know recognize him as such in the congregation, and hope to make him a shepherd. He, if he's not doing it, he probably won't do it. Um, uh, you, and and so you you want to look for those folks who who play big in the congregation, who who are who are shepherding and caring for people. Uh, then when you recognize them, they're just going to continue to do what they've been doing, and maybe more. Uh, that's right. And that's just that's just for the blessing of the people. Absolutely. I've always said that that if you you put your hands on a man who's not doing those things, those, and the difficult things. It's, the glorious things are, well, for lack of a better way of explaining it, those are easy. The glorious, the upfront things, the teaching and the, right. those things, you know, that, right. you know, everybody wants to do that, right? I mean, those who want to teach, that, that's something that they gravitate towards. But it's the secret things. It's the things that aren't seen, aren't visible, aren't glorious, aren't well-known, aren't even advertised or, or mentioned, like visiting um, a, a shut-in, a woman in the church who can't come to church because for one reason or another, or someone who's laid up in a nursing home, and you, you take the time to go and sit with them and pray with them and, and share God's Word with them and, and just be a comfort to them in some respect. Those things aren't widely publicized, aren't widely discussed, aren't widely known by the rest of the uh, the rest of the world. If you're not doing those things up front without the office, there's no. I strongly believe that you won't start doing it 
after you get the office. It just won't happen. You may do it for a few months because you're in the honeymoon phase. I'm now an elder and, and, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. But then eventually you'll run back to your old patterns of life. And um, so there's that, that, that real aspect, that love for the people that drives that um, that that attitude that you want to care for them, you want to you want to be there for them, you want to you want to befriend them, you want to listen to them, you want to pray with them and and help them. I mean that's what you're you're assisting. You're not you're not doing it for them. You're mm-hmm. assisting them to do it. And so I I, I, I but I've often a- answered that question that way. When I look at a man, I think does he model that now? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. maybe not perfectly, obviously, but does is there elements of it there are they in raw form maybe but they're there nonetheless um and if they're not then i there's no no way i can guarantee or even imagine that they'll change um the moment he's ordained that's right there's nothing magical about ordination that (laughs) that 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 changes a man hey you know ladies if he's not opening the door for you while you're dating He's not going to do it when you marry, you know. It's it's the same kind. Of, it's the same kind of principle. So what you do is you you either wait for the guy or you wait for that guy to grow into the kind of maturity where he opens the door, where he he delights in and protects uh, protects you in that way. And and the congregation, you wait for that guy uh, to mature, where he begins to demonstrate that kind of fruit, or you wait for the next guy who's demonstrating mm-hmm. that kind of fruit, and you recognize them and ordain them uh, for that office. Right. Now, how can uh, my listeners get a copy of this book? What I'm sure there's numerous ways. So what's the easiest way? Oh, probably the easiest way to go is to do is to go to something like Westminster Theological Bookstore or okay. Amazon.com mm-hmm. um, and or even to the Crossway uh, website. And you can order it from the website uh, or you can go to Nine Marks Ministries and uh, order a copy there as well as part of the uh, their uh, imprint with Crossway. Uh, and so you can order uh, at a good price there from Nine Marks as well. And have you had much feedback um, thus far? You know, the Lord the Lord takes things, man. He, uh, he always surprises you. you know, this book started out as a series of little blog posts with me just sort of, you know, tossing out some things, thinking out loud. And uh, in fact, a, a good friend of mine who pastors in Dubai, he said to me, he said, man, you should turn this into a, a short, readable little book, meditation for um, for people. And, and I didn't think anything of it. And God in his kindness has, has really seemed to bless it and make it an encouragement for people. Uh, there are many churches and pastors that are using it as, as a way of helping to disciple young men, giving it out to their leaders or prospective leaders. We use it that way here in the church. Um, and, and it's just one of those things where the Lord has has sweetly surprised me with with his blessings on it and um to him to him belongs all the glory yep and and i would again i would encourage the listeners to get a copy of this um if you aspire to the office of elder paul says that's a great thing Mm -hmm. read this book read it alongside those things that the apostle paul lays out in scripture and then do honest evaluation of your own life and say am i really at that place. Um, if you're like me, you're always going to second guess yourself and say, oh, I'm probably not. And it, that's not the issue. It's not about second guessing. It's about being honest with yourself, recognizing the severity of being a deacon or an elder in the church, the responsibility. It's great. Not only that, but you're going to give an account mm. for that office someday before the Lord. You're responsible. I mean, and, 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 that, and that's something that I think doesn't get mentioned enough when it comes to being especially an elder in the church, mm-hmm. you're responsible. I mean, mm-hmm. you have a huge responsibility 
and um, and it's the souls of people. That's what Peter says. And you're they're put there for, to watch and care for their souls. And and I can't think of a greater blessing as far as a work is concerned. But I can also not think of a greater responsibility either. Um, they go hand in hand, and so. I would encourage people to get a copy of this through those means that we just mentioned. And I will, on the confessingourhope.com website, I will put a link to it as well to make it very simple for the listeners to get a copy of it. Well, I have really appreciated your time on the program talking about this. We certainly didn't cover everything. We scratched the surface in a lot of ways. But hopefully we've attracted people to the topic to think through it more deeply and to examine it um, carefully because it is an important topic. Nonetheless, uh, the Lord be praised. Thank you, man, for having me on the show. It's been a treat to uh, to hang out with you, and uh, I pray that this and and your ministry continues to bless uh, many, many, many of God's people. Great, thank you, and you too, down in um, in the Cayman Islands, and um, and I, I don't know how many churches you have down there, but I'm thankful to the Lord that that He has a sound man leading His people there, and that's an important important thing. So, with that said. Um, I uh, just want to give the listeners a little bit of an update um, what we have coming up on the program. Again, as I usually say at this point, I usually have no idea. So uh, <laughs> um, it changes radically sometimes. And so uh, I've, if you want to know what's going on in the program, go to the website. That's the, where the information is usually up to date and, and active and um, any changes that get made and they happen a lot. You can find those changes on the website. So I would just suggest people go and listen or go and, and check the website out. That's where you'll be up to date as best, probably better than I am sometimes uh, as to what's going on. So until next time, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless. God bless.